Hey, it's Travis. Can you believe it's been half a year of bonus episodes already? Six months. The show has grown a lot this past year, and it's about to grow even more. Until we can unveil all the new changes and exciting additions, projects, and community that are coming with Season 5, we wanted to share our older bonus episodes to help ease you through the lean times. If you like what you hear and you want to hear more like it, sign up for our Patreon to get early access, ad-free episodes, behind-the-scenes content, and more. These bonus episodes are incredibly fun for us to produce, and we're thrilled to get to share this one with the general public for the first time. If you're already a patron, you already know, and you've got more coming your way. We've got a lot of fun stuff coming for everyone soon, so for now, take care of yourself, take care of each other, and thanks for listening to The Hotel. I take a deep breath, letting the Freon rush over me off the cool tiled floor and dust-free furnishings. The lobby is clean, the air is crisp, the guest book is open, and I have my reservation card in hand. Everything is in its place. This is the moment, after I have checked on everything, made all my preparations, but before the guest has arrived, this moment hangs in the air in perfect stillness. Before I can exhale, the lobby door slams open and tonight's guests laugh themselves in. They ask for our cheapest room, setting a stuffed animal on the front desk. It's the only thing they have with them. Not a single bag between the two of them. It's a road trip, they say. They'll get their things in the morning, they say. They chatter on about where they came from while they sign in, but I'm distracted by the fat stuffed frog staring at me. They notice and laugh again. A prize, they tell me, from the fairgrounds carnival down the road from the hotel. Whatever hotel they think this is, anyway. I smile crisply, complimenting them on their... accomplishment. But before I can ring the bell for my lobby boy, he appears behind me. The owner, stepping out from my private office door. He sweeps in and offers to escort the guests to their room, which sends them into further fits of jocularity. I feel the night slipping away from my control. The owner and I sneer at each other with just enough smile to keep the guests from noticing, and they all head to the elevator together. They leave the frog behind. I hold it up, clearing my throat, but as the elevator doors open, they just laugh. Keep it, they say. And when the doors close, I am left alone with this... prize. Setting it down by the guest book, I look into its beady dead eyes and fat frowning face, my lip curling, and try to fathom what it must be like at this carnival.
The ground is dirty and dusty. Patches of grass hold on for dear life as hundreds of feet trample them flat between the knots of filthy paths that wind between the... the festivities. Everything is making a different noise, and none of it is designed to work in concert. Bells, mechanical grinding, several different pieces of music, and a variety of genres all playing at different volumes, laced with screams and peals of laughter. It assaults me, forcing me to try and comprehend all of it at once while leaving nothing singular to hold on to. Flashing white lights blink and every pattern imaginable against a backdrop of chrome and neon, slicing the air so hotly that even the night sky above me seems to glow. Booths selling fried or sweet foods launch heavy, greasy scents in all directions. Every window has a line of people waiting eagerly for helpings of burnt sugar and sloppy plates of mess. People cluster and run. They stand in each other's way or wobble about, changing direction erratically as they try to decide which indulgence or trauma to inflict upon themselves. Everything about this place is chaos and noise and sick. The games are manned by braying men, shouting derogatives at passers-by, trying to entice and induce them in joyfully losing over and over at games of chance and skill. Rows of fat frogs hang at one such game. Help us, they seem to cry. Free us say their haunting, frowning faces. I turn away from them. I am not in a helpful mood. Nearby, a swooping silver box, spinning wildly on a massive arm, forces a blast of air over me. Each box holds a group of two to four people, and the arms swing them a dozen feet up and arcs back around faster and faster. After only a few moments, scarcely minutes, the machine slows and droops, and everyone piles out. I follow a pair, laughing and shouting as they push and stumble their way farther into the carnival. They trade tickets for entry onto another mechanical nightmare. This one flattens them as it spins faster and faster and faster. It presses them into the padded wall while they giggle and shut their eyes at the building forces. Another one swings back and forth steadily, higher and higher, until it seems like they'll spill out at its terrifying peak, dumping them onto the ground far below. They take a slow, clanking cart into a black building with eyes painted on the side. It reminds me of the hotel. And inside, I can hear enough screaming to draw a thin smile. 
But, as with everything here, when they come out the exit, they're laughing. No matter how fast, or twisting, or noisy, or dangerous these gaudy, shining steel creatures are, no matter how much they toss and jerk and manipulate these people, it's all harmless. A diet, caffeine-free version of danger. A flirtation with exhilaration that almost makes them drunk with a flush of body chemistry and lightness. I catch my reflection in a mirror outside the funhouse. My thin smile is turned into disgust. Or the warped glass has twisted my face into a snarl. All this fear, all this machination, all dumped into chaotic amusement. What a waste. A sickening scent pulls my attention from the riders. It's broad and heavy, and very nearly puts a taste under my tongue. The human body, any human body, can only take so much spinning and dropping before the piles of greasy, sugary muck has to spill back up and out of their quivering stomachs. But there are no pools of chunky expellent on the ground. I see no one doubled over by the trash cans or behind the game booths. A wave of sharp sweetness cuts through the salty cheese smell and combines with it before moving on again. It's not one smell. Not the smell of sick from regurgitated jostling, but the combined smells of every scrap of food assaulting me at once. Plates piled high with fried dough and sugar, corn dogs as long and thick as forearms, buckets of chili and fries and cheese. One sign even promises deep-fried gator meat. The line for that swamp delicacy is no shorter than the line for deep-fried Oreos. There seems to be no horror, no punishment, no antagonism that this place can offer up that the people will say no to. They trade tickets and money for the privilege, for the challenge, for nothing more than the horrible experience of being shaken and filled and titillated to the very edge of their tolerance. And then just a bit more. But no one breaks. No one dies. With the exception of a few sweaty and sick stragglers gathering their strength with water bottles and nachos, everyone is fine. Even at the game booths, with almost no hope of winning, it's all smiles. Prizes don't even mean anything to them. Disposable trinkets cherished temporarily. Shouting, expensive, chaotic madness all traded for bubbles. I can bring order to this chaos. 
I can see the system within this system. I can see who is running the game booths as I get closer to the center of it all. He looks familiar. He's dressed in a casual uniform of torn jeans and a band shirt, running the ring toss, but I know him still. I stand behind the rows of customers cheering on one another in a game they know is rigged, silently watching until he sees me. He straightens up when he meets my eye, and his expression goes comfortably grim. The game slows, then stops as the onlookers realize the change in mood. Some are looking at him. Others have spotted me. And before too long, everyone is staring at us. They smile and laugh nervously, not sure what to expect. I scan the other game booths, the other carnival barkers now all sharing that same familiar face, all looking back at me, waiting for instruction. I feel a shift ripple out from here, the heart of the carnival. Not quite a chill in the air, but a stillness. Like someone touching me on the shoulder softly, letting me know it's time. I know everywhere, every worker at the rides, the games, the cooks, the ticket sellers are unifying. They all share that haunted look that anticipating tremor on their lips. Distantly, I hear the subtle shift of screams from exuberant joy to panic and terror. I know the work of the dark carnival has begun now at the hands of my carny boys. In the booth next to me, guests find themselves suddenly bound under bright lights balloons fixed to the crowns of their heads. Opposite them, blank-faced clowns fire streams of water into their screaming faces. I watch until the first balloon fills and bursts. When it goes, it takes their heads with it, splattering gore and blood on the others. Carney boys give the clown a prize, and they reset for another round. Another booth has guests sealed inside water-filled plastic bags, waiting to be won. Another has them throwing darts trying to hit balloons. Tears stream down their faces as they try to avoid hitting their friends strapped on the wall between the balloons. I retrace my steps, winding back through the exotic smells of delicious and fatty foods. Those who were queasy and resting are chained together at the tables now, bottles of refreshing water replaced with plates being placed in front of them over and over. Some have already collapsed into their own fluids, but everyone who's still conscious has little choice but to overindulge.
These are the lucky ones. At other booths, plates are presented with deep-fried hands, feet, ears, faces, drizzled with powdered sugar or a cheese-like substitute as grisly screams emanate from the kitchen. The goings-on at the gator meat booth are particularly gruesome. But the pained and muffled screams add to the noise and waste around me. The open-air fairgrounds don't provide relief from the added chaos as the carnival feeds into itself. As the pain feeds into itself. Noise turns to more noise. Sick produces neighboring sick and the blood is quickly turning the dusty ground into a viscous chocolate mud. Bodies are dragged out of the way. Chunks are placed into massive trash bags and buckets. But the sheer number of guests begins to overwhelm my carny boys as they try to both clean and kill as effectively as possible. But I believe I know a more efficient way to proceed. I move to the rides. Those steel monsters that can scoop and scrape and swallow dozens of people all at once. The carny boys corral groups of shoving, terrified people through the lines. Ride vehicles designed for four now hold seven, eight, sometimes ten people, bent and stuffed in, suffocating and crying. Barely before the straps or bars can be locked in, many of them still open, a lever is yanked and the ride takes off, far faster than it was ever intended to go. Massive metal arms hurl themselves upward and outward, Half a dozen people die immediately. A dozen more are thrown clear, screaming into the night as they arc outward, splattering on the ground or on the gears of other rides. The rest cry and moan, and they're swirled violently in circles, until the ride itself shudders and jerks. One of the arms snaps lobbing its car full of half-alive people lazily into the adjacent roller coaster. The coaster is over capacity as well, and the people crammed in the top of the hill have plenty of time to see the track ahead crack and crumble before it launches them down. When it sails off the tracks, there are plenty of people left alive enough to scream as it slides into the scrambler. Ride after ride around me is filled beyond capacity by my army of carny boys, pushing and cajoling a seemingly endless parade of bodies that are ground up and liquefied or left broken and dying on the twists of machines as they fly themselves apart. Above me, cables snap and send single-seat bucket swings and the people in them spiraling out in every deadly direction. Strings of white bulbs pop all around me, 
and a shower of sparks splashes off the bodies and blood piling up at the foundations of the wrecked games and rides. The carny boys try their best to clear the growing human slurry, but they can't keep up with the gore machine this carnival has become. The stench and din is overwhelming, even to me. When the Ferris wheel wobbles audibly, I know I've lost control. It frees itself from its massive spokes and falls almost slowly from its center pin to the bloody ground below. Twenty screaming people are immediately crushed to death, and the remainder scream all the louder. The great wheel bends itself in half and rains dead and dying bodies down as my boys run for cover themselves. The twisting metal groan is all I can hear, and this terrible carnival shows me what chaos really looks like. Bloody people. Some covered in vomit or missing limbs or eyes or more try to escape, running in every direction, helping or trampling over one another. Many break apart or smother at the hands of their panic. I try to shout or signal to the staff to regain control, but the Ferris wheel finally finishes its inevitable journey and I watch seven carny boys and at least twice as many people disappear beneath it. Blood and splinters explode over me like thunder. Fire has broken out on many of the rides, spreading quickly as those strapped in have something new to scream about. The only space that remains untouched is the black building with the painted eyes. I rush to it walking as quickly as I can through the dying crowd, stepping over bodies and filth. I push past the rotting smell of putrid foods, past the still horrified screams of the dying. I jump into one of the clanking carts outside, and with a nod from the final carny boy still working, the last thing I see are rows of frowning faces of the fat frogs at a gaming booth. Save us. They still seem to cry. The cart rolls on. I take a deep breath, and I'm plunged into the dark. I exhale slowly. The air is free of grease and dust. The only noise is from the hum of the air conditioner. The guests are in their room, dying in an orderly fashion. The lobby boy is routing safely in his closet. The owner is off somewhere, doing as he will, and the guest book is laying crookedly on my front desk. I reach with a shrunken, shriveled hand to straighten it, but I let it drift instead to the fat, stuffed frog sitting next to it. 
pick it up again, looking into its beady, dead eyes. And as I feel the last of me slipping away from my crumbling body, I think its fat face isn't quite frowning anymore. The Hotel was created and produced by Travis McMaster and Mark Witten. Starring Kelly Ninaltowski as the manager. Mark Witten as the lobby boy. Graham Rowett as the owner. And Krista Lewis. Music by Lauren Picorni, Wes Rodri, and special guest composer Zach Tatum-Drake. <laughs>